Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, I'm Jess. I'm one of the producers of 70 Over 70. And before we get started, I just want to give everyone a heads up. This episode contains discussions of sexual assault. Please take care while listening. I know this program is 70 Over 70, but uh, I really wish I were younger. I wish I were 70, but I am ready. I'm 72 years old. I'm 75, miraculously enough. I am 83 years old. I am 88 years old. You know, I'm here at 92. Be 94 in May. I'm 101 years old. My name is Carolyn Doling. I'm 74 years old. And I'm currently bi-coastal between California and New York. So at age 70, I retired from a job in philanthropy. And very soon after, I realized that actually calling it retirement was a bit detrimental because I knew that people had lower expectations of me. I was starting to feel invisible And I noticed other women of about my age group, just looking in their eyes, it felt like they had completely given up. And it corresponds to what people are wearing, which are dull gray, khaki, or black, lots and lots of black. So I wanted to do something about that. So one of the very simple things that I did was just to add more color to my wardrobe like an orange shirt or hot pink slacks. It sounds like a very simple thing, but it actually had a huge impact. And just about the same time, um, I went to a um, boutique called McMullen in uh, downtown Oakland. The owner, she was videotaping people asking, you know, what your goals were. And what my comment was, uh, was, you know, I'm encouraging more women my age to flaunt their style and be aware of that self-expression. And a couple of weeks later, I got an email from her asking if I would like to wear some of the clothing in her boutique for her e-commerce. Well, I'd never in my life modeled before. I was always shy, never liked the way that I looked. And so I was always asking people not to take pictures or High fashion was always for someone else and just what you saw, you know, on the magazine racks. But I showed up on set and just the clothing was 
by some really, well, some top-notch designers like Tibby, uh, Rachel Comey. And when they saw the photos, they in turn started to include me in their social media. And then just things started to snowball from there. Now I've done skincare, I've done shoes, I've done London Fashion Week. And I'm very pleased to say that this year I will be walking runway with a very famous designer in New York Fashion Week. So now at age 74, I have rebooted myself as a fashion model. So when I walked down the runway, I noticed some surprise looks when I first go out because, you know, I have gray natural Afro hair. I'm five foot four. I'm a size four. So that really kind of bucks the whole understanding of what a model should look like, uh, which is really amazing because... Models really should represent real life. And not long ago, I was reading the science magazine and I came across this line that has really stuck with me. And that line was, a model by definition should be a representation of the real thing. And the real thing are the people like me. You know, I'm walking to represent a different type of individual than the audience expects. And they love it. They love it. That was Carolyn Doling. And from Pineapple Street Studios, this is 70 Over 70, a show about making the most of the time we have left. I'm Max Linsky. My guest this week is Diana Nyad. Diana's many things. She's an athlete, she's a journalist, a public speaker, but Diana's probably best known for becoming the first person to swim without a safety net from Cuba to Key West. She first tried to swim when she was in her 20s, but she didn't actually complete it until she was 64. And I just want you to picture this for a second. It's dark, brutally windy, Diana's been swimming for more than 24 hours, and she's 50-something miles from shore in either direction. She's throwing up constantly because she keeps swallowing seawater, and she's getting stung by box jellyfish, which are like regular jellyfish, except they're huge, and they can kill you. And somehow, in that moment, Diana figured out how to keep going. I was curious about how she found the strength to finish that swim, and I wanted to know what happened when she hit the shore. How does your relationship to your body change after you've pushed it to the absolute extreme? Diana Nyad is 72 years old. Hey, Diana, thank you, uh, thank you for doing this. It's my pleasure, Max. You, you know, you're le- going to supposedly learn something from me, but with you <laughs> almost turning 40, it's hard for me to have respect for you at that age. But, I understand. Um, 
I'm going to listen over the next hour and, and develop some respect for a 40-year-old. Now, listen, the chances of you learning anything from me are very, very low. But I feel like I should, I should uh, let you in on a secret, which is that when we started thinking about this show, you have always been this person that I felt like I had to talk to. And um, I don't know, it's just really thrilling to have you on the show. I'm, I'm really glad Thank you're you. here. Thank you. I'm honored. When you did that swim from Cuba to Key West, so much of it was about doing the swim, but it also felt like doing it at that age was important to you. And, and I guess if we could start, I, I'm interested in what doing that swim in your 60s has meant and what your relationship between your swimming and your age is. You know, the truth of it is, it wasn't so much about being in my 60s then and, and going back to this sport that I used to be, you know, one of the best in the world at when you should be in your 20s. It was more a an arc of a life story that started with very literally at double digits when I was 10 years old. I was already very very worried about and engaged with the shortness of our lives. For some reason, you know, most kids who are 10 can't even imagine their 11th birthday. It's right. so far away. But I had a fixation when I was young, you know, really young, still a kid, on how if you waste your time, you never, ever get to do this day over again. So I want to do this day to the most powerful, most meaningful way I can do it every single day. Well, I, I, I did live that way. And I, I, you know, sort of that conviction sort of drove me through everything I did. And then, you know, I can't really analyze it, you know, too deeply, but, you know, it's, it's easy to get complacent. Uh, in my 30s, I was in a wonderful marriage uh, with a woman, but um, boy, we were having a ball and, uh, you know, just life seemed grand. And I, I thought this will never end. I took it for granted. But the truth is that swim was an emblem of, I need to, I need to get back to that living life so I can't do it a fingernail better every day. And especially when that last day comes, I want to be able to look back and say, I didn't succeed by any means at everything I tried, but I can sell myself one thing every single day. I just couldn't have put any more of myself into it. And that swim reawakened all that 10 year old pressure mm. Of life's going by. Well, I can I can feel the uh, energy from that swim still like coming through you. It's uh, the, you, there's like 15 things you just said that I want to follow up on, but um, I think the one that I'm going to start with is the one that you said you weren't sure you could analyze more, which is it does seem so rare to be a 10 year old kid and actually aware, or conscious at all, of how little time we have on Earth. What do you think happened that made you lose that thread in the middle of your life? You know, I think it's easy when, um, when, when, when things are comfortable, you know, it's, it's easy to get complacent. Uh, you were like a commentator, then you were making a bunch of money for uh, wide world of sports. So yes, but the truth is that 
I just got sort of, like I said, taking it all for granted. Oh yeah, I got another first class trip to London. Let me get on the plane and stay in a beautiful hotel suite and call my partner back in New York and, you know, have some lovemaking on the phone and I'm going to eat a, an incredible dinner. And I just, um, I, I, I just got away from that. What is the meaning of my life? What's the meaning of life in general? And I think that toward the end of my fifties, um, I started to feel the malaise. I started to feel like I'm a spectator. Were you bored? I've never been bored a whole day in my life. I've never been bored a minute of my life. And then what happened? What got you to sort of wake up? It happened over a decade. It wasn't like one transcendent moment, but I lost that marriage that I'm referring to and uh, wasn't the best partner that that I wish I could click my fingers and go back to being today. Um my mom did die. And, uh, you know, look, I'm turning 60. She's 82. It's only, could it possibly be? I mean, I'm in this incredible shape and I'm probably going to go to 100 strong and fit, but there's genetics. Maybe I'm going to die at 82 too. Are you kidding me? I got 22 years left and I'm just kind of kind of skating around and not going anywhere with purpose. So it was, I, it was gathering. And by the time I turned 60, I thought, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready mm -hmm. to bust out, give up all the money of the career, give it up. Was there anything scary about that moment? No, I, I, I was so excited. And when I started to train for the Cuba swim, I sat down with the five people closest to me in my life. And I said, I want to I challenge myself to do something that's possibly, probably impossible. And mm -hmm. I'm going to come alive doing it. And I want you guys to do it with me. And you know what? When we reach that shore, it could be that you five will be the only people who are there, the only people who know about it. Also, let's say that there was a history of me and Cuba and lots of people who grew up in Southern Florida and saw that forbidden island right off our shores and grew up with Cuban friends who could never go back there. So there was a mystique to mm -hmm. that crossing that meant a lot when I got a chance to go into the Oval Office with President Obama after that swim, the first thing he said to me was, this is the first gesture. You're leaving that shore, Havana. And shortly thereafter, and I said, shortly thereafter, <laughs> he said, I, I know, but in the big scheme of things, shortly thereafter, touching the other shore, that was, that was the, the ultimate gesture in showing mm. us, Cubans and Americans, that we can. We can we can heal these wounds. We can we can go shore to shore again together. So, you know, I I, I didn't have any hesitancy, though. I mm. knew in my heart and my soul that this, this is I needed a challenge that big. And I didn't care about the failure. I had the courage to fail. That makes a lot of sense to me. It's funny. You know, I know I know that you're saying like you didn't know whether it'd just be those five people on the beach or who would really care um, and that's really just about because it was coming from within you. But there's still something funny about like, I didn't know if anyone would care. Turns out like uh, like Obama cared. Obama cared. <laughs> well, there's this quote that I, I know has been trailing you around your whole life. Uh, you said it to, to Jane Pauley on the Today Show years and years ago. And you said, the most difficult thing I know, mentally or physically, is swimming these great bodies of water. But when I reach the destination... I experience a moment of immortality. And that feeling of immortality, is, is that part of 
what you have been chasing? No, I don't think so. And yeah, I'll tell you the absolute truth, Max, is that I don't know how old I was when I was talking to Jane Pauley, but those are words I would never use today. You know, I don't believe in in the feeling of immortality. I don't know what that is because first of all, we all die. I'm very aware of that. I'm an atheist and I, I don't even have hopes of going to heaven. But I think what I what I did feel in finally making it from Cuba to Florida at age 64, and that was a profound sense of showing myself and showing the world at large, because those weren't swimming fans and sports fans who were following me. They were watching a human being and a team who refused to give up. I gave a speech to my team for all five attempts of Cuba. And I said, it won't be me who lets you down. If a shark comes around and and, uh, threatens my life, we have to give it up. If the box jellyfish threatens my life, which it did, um, and we have to give it up. If a 60 mile an hour storm comes in and we're blown far, of course, if mother nature you know, doesn't allow us across fair enough, but I will not stop my team. I will not stop and say to you, I can't, I'm too tired. I'm, I'm hurting. I can't do it anymore because I prepared to, to make sure that I can look back and say there was nothing more I could do. And so that's the feeling I had. And I think immortality was probably a, a young word, mm. a young version of trying to say that back then. I think part of the reason that it, it caught me is because it brought up these kind of questions of time to me. Like, how, how long were you in the water in your successful one from Cuba to Key West? That was 52 hours, 54 minutes, and 18 seconds. And I'll tell you, anybody can do 52 hours, 54 minutes, but it's that last 18 seconds <laughs> that's, that's going to get you. Well, do you think that you see time differently than most people? I, I just think um, the definition of what's what's a valuable way to spend my time has changed, and it was more ego-driven. You know, I used to be uh, the type that hung up in the bathroom across a clothesline um, vocabulary words in different languages because I couldn't I couldn't imagine standing there and just brushing my teeth for a minute and a half or two minutes without doing something. <laughs> You know, so I, I, I study these vocabulary words. Well, I'm not like that anymore. I could brush my teeth and be, you know, looking down at my dog or, or you know, whatever. So my, my definition of, of the value of how to spend one's time has changed. But the actual value of time is it remains at that pressing sort of it's, it's going by like lightning. And you don't know this yet because you're so young, but as you get older, decade by decade, um, you know, you think that the clock ticks at the same tempo and like Charlie Chaplin tried to hold it back from going around. No, it actually speeds up as you get older. It speeds up exponentially every month, every day, every hour is like, wow, how can I, how can I make the most of this? How can I slow this down? How do you not get overwhelmed by that feeling? It feels to me like what you're basically saying is like, since you were a kid, you have been intimately in touch with time and how little of it we have. How do you not just like end up in the fetal position, totally overwhelmed by that idea? Like, how do you take that and find what feels to me like this kind of like relentless motivation that you have? Yeah, well, I think it, it, it circles back each time to 
what effort have you put in? And, you know, I, I don't want people to think I can be silly. You know, I can be with friends on a beach, you know, just tossing the ball around with our dogs and laughing and, you know, looking up at the stars. And so there's nothing ego driven or success driven, but being with my friends and being whimsical and being silly is part of what I value in life. So I think the point is, did you waste your time? You know, I, I just, and I, I, I'm not being judgmental, I swear, but I'm just not the type who could sit on the couch for six, seven, eight hours and sort of blindly, half awake, half asleep, just stare at the television. I'm a, I'm a pretty healthy eater, but let's say occasionally I sit down and eat a pizza. I don't want to, you know, just, just uh, unconsciously eat piece after piece while I'm doing other things and look and say, oh my God, I forgot to taste the pizza. I forgot, I forgot to say, wow, the marinara sauce was incredible. The, every bite of, was worth it. I don't want to look at the bottom and say, I forgot to pay attention. I want to be engaged. You know what? You're making me think that's the value that I value the most is engagement. And that that's that's what I admire most, whether it's a jigsaw puzzle or this conversation with you, I want to be full tilt engaged. Part of what you're talking about is being present, right? That's like maybe another there word for go. engaged. There is, you go. Is that hard for you? No, I'm in it. I'm in it. But I wasn't. For those years of my 30s, right. 40s, and 50s, I'd say I was kind of half there. And that was more like half the time when I had to be, when I was working and had to show up with the microphone in front of me. Right. A lot of the time, I was just kind of kind of floating around and having a good time. Do you regret those decades of your life? Yeah. I, I don't want to have any more regrets. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I was sexually molested as a teenager by my coach. And for so many years, like a lot of sexual abuse victims, I beat myself up with the regrets of not throwing that guy up against a wall, not going to the police, my mother, the principal of the school, telling them what was happening to me. I kept quiet. I was frozen to this day. I, I could admit that as, as happy and as confident as I seem, I've got some chinks in the armor because of that sexual abuse that, that bring up you know, all kinds of insecurities. So I, I used to regret not having done something about it in real time, um, but I've let go of that. I've, I've forgiven myself because of the era it was, the age I was. I just couldn't do anything about it at that time. But I do regret those years 30 to 60. Mm. You know, I was older then. I was capable of being present. There was so much there, Diane. I'm just trying to think about what I want to ask you next. Insecurity is one of the things that I was about to ask you before you brought up that history with your coach. What's your relationship with doubt at this point in your life? You know, Max, I can tell you that um, I've done a lot of interviews through the years. Um, and so many people start off and they say, well, you know, you're this person who's always believed in herself and you go out and grab the tiger by the tail and, you know, boy, it must be great to be always your whole life, be so confident and so sure of yourself. And I say, wait, 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 wait. Where, where'd you get all that? You know, because I'm not riddled with doubts, but, but I've got some of that weaving in. I do. I, you know, there, there are doubts that creep in and then it's up to me. It's up to that engaged mind and that will to say, you might fail. Don't be afraid. You failed before. 
but you will have doubts if you sit back and let those insecurities and doubts, you know, enshroud you. What what doubts do you have now, Diana? I I have other dreams and with with a realism of time passing, will will I get there? Will I get to do them? Um, I can't pretend that even though I feel very fit and agile and, you know, honestly, I could feel I'm in the prime of my life. Um, But let's face it, in 10 years, will I sit down and talk with you and still say, I wake every every day feeling like a million bucks, maybe, you know, maybe I'll, I'll be one of the few who keeps going that strong at 91 as well. But let's face it, the chances are we're heading toward a decline. So the body and the mind are going to unravel in certain ways. And I'm not 39. And I'm not 49. I'm not 59. I'm not even 69 anymore. So I get worried that that feeling of do what you need to do every day is even more imperative now. I kind of run around. If I have to go out to the garage to get something, I don't just saunter along. I, I kind of do a <laughs> speed walk out there and a speed walk back. <laughs> no, no fucking around. You got to get no, back. No fucking around, Max. <laughs> Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you were talking about how the idea of time speeds up exponentially as you get older, maybe it's just walking to the garage, but like, when do you feel that speeding up? You know, I think that it's a it's a pervasive feeling, Max. It's like when I get up, I don't need an alarm. I get up around 3.45 to 4.30 a.m. I want to be up before the sun. I want to see the first first shading of light in the morning and not miss it. I don't want to miss anything. And I feel it all day. I'm going over to play a tennis match and I'm so engrossed with the energy drink I'm drinking on the way over. I'm thinking about my serve. Am I finally going to get that, that wrist snap at the top of the serve? And when I get there, I play as if I'm at Wimbledon and believe me, it's nothing like Wimbledon. Um, (laughs) But all day long, I'm imbued with this feeling of, that oh my god that was a that was a worthwhile hour so i'm i'm more engaged and more aware than i present your word than i've ever been in my life i'm not i'm i'm really not trying to make light of the way you live your life what you just described sounds completely exhausting to me <laughs> totally yeah, but- totally exhausting you know, there there are people, and my mother was really good at saying it. She said, "You are you are so exhausting to be around." Um, so I take that as a compliment. But you can imagine, on my end, yeah, I put a lot of energy out, but look clearly what I get from it. You know, I'm yeah. I'm high. I'm on a high. Yeah, you do seem kind of high. <laughs> There's a connection between those two things that you were just saying. So I asked you what your doubts were, and what I heard you saying was. I don't know how much longer I will be in control. I don't know how much longer I'll be able to live my life in the way that I want to live it. Does that sound right? It does. And then there's this other piece of it, which is you feel this the time speeding up and it just gives you energy to do everything and your energy drink is a celestial experience, you know? I think the thing that I'm wondering about is... Is there something negative or scary in there? You know what I mean? This idea that you're going to lose control, that the clock is ending. I understand how it fuels you to live your life the way you want to, but is there any way in which it stops you or holds you back or just scares you? Well, I wasn't necessarily going to share this, but I will tell you that On November 9th, 2020, after waking up every day the way I described it to you, feeling like a million bucks, I woke up with extreme 10 level pain in both shoulders, both groins and the neck. It took me 11 or 12 minutes literally to get out of bed. I thought, do I have ALS? Do I have MS? Is this lupus? But how could I have gone to bed last night 100% and wake up 
with, with something I just can't understand. So it took three weeks, but I was diagnosed with a fairly rare thing called polymyalgia rheumatica. And I'm doing a lot better now. I'm back to playing tennis, but mm. this is my first little hint that I am. I'm only human. I, if I do live to 90 or 100, I'm going to go through decline. It's been hard for me to learn. I used to think my will can overcome anything. But this little polymyalgia rheumatica um, has sort of taught me taught me to say, I'm going to see that I'm going to go through things. I'm going to go through some degeneration of body and or mind, and I better just get some grace with it. Sounds like you've done a lot of work to process it in a, in a classic uh, Diana fashion, like I uh, just attacked the thing. But tell me a little bit more about what those 11 or 12 minutes were like when you couldn't get out of bed. I was scared. I called Bonnie. Bonnie Stoll, by the way, is my best friend for 40 years now. And I used to be her trainer. And then many years later, in my 60s, she became my trainer. But she came over. And by the time she came over, I was standing up but barely walking. And I, I, I catastrophized. I went to the point like, this is never going to get better. This is the way I'm going to live from now on. This is life for me now. I went from being badass to debilitated in overnight. Hmm. When you say you catastrophized, does, does that mean panicked? Yeah, I, I, you know, I wasn't a bit of a panic. And I will say that that's, that's one negative trait I've had. You know, you could, people think of, oh, you're so positive. You think you can do everything. No, I worry about everything before it happens. Um, but Bonnie's always saying to me, it's good to be prepared, but don't get stuck on what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if I lose? And what if I, you know, I don't make it? And what if I you know, just, just, Stay calm and realize that that might be one of the outcomes. You're losing or you're not making it or you're failing and, and you'll deal with that. But don't sit in a place of what if, oh my God, that's probably what's going to happen. Right. There's something about the way you're describing it, right? Searing pain, unable to move. That feels so reminiscent of your worst moments in the water. No. Well, only it, the box, from that, from only, the outside, like the, right, being stung by those box jellyfish, yeah. or just being un, uh, unable to move, vomiting your your body giving out. When when you just told me that story, all I was thinking about were these descriptions of you on these epic swims. But did it not feel that way to you? Did you panic in the water? No, maybe during the box jellyfish, I thought, "Am I going to die here?" Is it because I, I was really having trouble breathing? The whole uh, the professional medical team, University of Miami, ER doctors were having trouble reviving me. Um, we weren't sure, and many people have died being stung. It's called the Irikanji syndrome. Right. But honestly, I, I never actually panicked. I let the team take over. And as soon as they revived me, I was ready to get back in the water, even with the box jellyfish there. I think there's a resolve when, when people are set on, you know, an astronaut going into that capsule and going out of space, as much as their family might say, it's not worth it. It's not worth, you're dying. Um, that astronaut is not going to panic. They believe in all the intelligent protocols and the preparation that's put together. And so I, I was never in a state of panic out in the ocean. Right. I guess I'm just trying to poke my finger at like 
what was different on November 9th? You know, and when you're in the ocean and getting stung by these prehistoric creatures, you'd chosen to be there. And on some level, you were in control. But when you woke up on November 9th, there was no choice and no control. Actually, I had trained hundreds and hundreds of hours off the Key West Coast and off the Cuban coast and never been stung by a box jellyfish. So, um, you know, the box jellyfish was, was, was unknown, but mm-hmm. I, I had this state of resolve, whereas this polymyalgia rheumatica, I mean, I didn't have a, a, a just a, a, a moment of a symptom to sort of get me, you know, ready for, hey, something, something weird's happening. Comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't saying to myself, oh, this is nothing. You know, you don't don't worry about it. Get up. You'll make a couple of phone calls. I was like, I'm I'm this is gonna get worse and I probably won't live another 24 hours. That's that's where I was that morning. Right. And then you find out it, you're it's not Lou Gehrig's disease. You're not paralyzed, it's treatable. And yet you know, like, who knows where you'll be at 81 or 91. Who knows when's the next time you wake up in the morning with some something hurting in a way it never has before. And I wonder whether you feel now ready for those moments or whether you're scared of not being able to control, not knowing physically what's coming for you. I don't think it's a matter of being scared. I think it's a matter of getting real. You know, there's very little physically I won't do um, out in the ocean or on a bike or or running or whatever it is. But I I, I have to, you know, forget about the cosmetics. Uh, Sometimes I'm just shocked to look at photos and I, I see my breasts are like five inches lower than I think they are when I walk around. But if things happen, if things happen beyond your control that your will are not going to overturn, then it's time to get real. Can can I come up to this? Can I get over this? Or is this not going to be gotten over and I got to live with it? So I wasn't sure in those first three weeks after November 9th. And I was thinking, I certainly can't swim. No way I could bring the shoulder over this way. But I was starting to not be angry about it. Even in the throes of those three weeks of pain, I wasn't saying, I don't want this. Take this back. I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to get down and make myself do push-ups. I was getting real with it, like find out what it is, deal with it. You know, you're, 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 you're going to be okay, no matter what it is. But I, I think all of us have to use our will when we, can, when we can push, 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 and get real when we're going to have to, we're going to, have to settle. And it's, it's, it's a hard word for me to use, but I think all of us come to that at, at some areas of our lives. Yeah. You know, I watched the documentary, The Other Shore, and you said um, that you hope to have enough dignity and maturity to recognize when enough is enough. And um, in a way, I feel like that quote touches on a lot of what we've talked about today, but I wonder how you think you'll know when you've hit that point and how how you'll know when to let go. Do you think you'll be able to do that? 
Yeah, I do. You know, because I think that, um, you know, we evolve slowly. So I didn't come to this point today, you know, overnight. I didn't go from 21 to 71 overnight. You know, I, I couldn't have said at age 21, yeah, if things slow down or, if you know, I have some amount of debilitation or if I just don't get lucky in certain ways, I'll be able to accept it. I wasn't in that place. And I've learned, I've learned since then that, that you know, that uh, the universe is bigger than we are. And, and bad luck does factor in. To, to everything we do, as well as good luck. So I think that, you know, I, I'm at a space now in life that if something absolutely beyond my control, you know, happens, if my house burned down tomorrow and I lost all the possessions in it, um, you know, I can't say, uh, whereas I might have at age 21, that didn't happen and I'm going to build it back tomorrow and I'm going to go in the ashes and find everything that's important. I would just say, take a deep breath. This is reality. Let's 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 get with it. You know, heroism and and um, tremendous deep resilience aren't born because you want those to be your characteristics. They're born because of unexpected events. And how are you going to react to them? So um, I think that I'm. I'm going to be able to, you know, handle anything that comes my way in life, but I'm not saying I'm going to, you know, go down gently if, if it doesn't go the way I want it to go. And you wonder why people get on the phone with you and ask you about how you have so much confidence. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I've, I've uh, opened up to you and shown lots of, um, you know, areas where you could enter into doubt, but you know, it's, it's my choice. This life is the way I live. It is my choice. And uh, I, I can admit to doubts and insecurities, but I'm not going to let them, you know, ruin my life or reign over my life. I looked in the mirror. What did I see? A brand new image of the same old me. 70 Over 70 is a production of Pineapple Street Studios, and it's produced by Jess Hackle. Our associate producer is Janelle Anderson. Our editors are Maddie Sprung-Kaiser and Joel Lovell. Research and additional reporting by Charlie Locke. Our mixer is Davey Sumner, and Jenna Weiss-Berman and I are the executive producers. Our theme song is Like a Dream by Francis and the Lights. And the music you're listening to right now is by Mavis Staples, who's 82. Original music by Terrence Bernardo, additional music by Noble Kids, and music licensing by Dan Kanishkui. Our cover art is by Myra Coleman, who's 72. And our episode art is by Lynn Staley. She's 73, and she's also my mom. Thank you, Carolyn Doling. And thank you, Diana Nyad. I'm Max Linsky. Thanks for listening. Why should I be surprised? I like the things about me. I like